change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podsquewee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Oh, Mike. Doesn't this feel so much more fun, you and I sitting down this week, than it did last week? It really does. Talking about a win is always much more funner than talking about um, two bad losses. So uh, we saw some good things from the Tiger Cats this week, and I'm excited to talk about it. But before we get to the game, we got to do what we're doing at the start of every show for the foreseeable future, and that is giving away... A nice t-shirt. We gave our first winner last week, uh, Adam Young, a buddy of ours, longtime listener out in Welland. I was able to drop off his shirt this week. Uh, he says he's got something fun planned to uh, to show off his new thread. So I'm, I'm kind of curious as to uh, to what he's going to do. He chose uh, one of the Paulus Baldison shirts. So the first one we gave away for any of you Podsky trivia nerds out there, although I can't imagine there's very many of you. Uh Ozzy was the first shirt that we uh, we gave away out of out of the three guys. So uh, he made that choice. I dropped it off to him this week, and uh, kind of looking forward to seeing what he's going to do. But if you're ready, Mike, we can do this week. Given we got more entries this week than we did last week, so uh, this is picking up some momentum. That's a good thing, right? Absolutely, and we got uh, two shirts to give away this week we in honor do. of the Tie Cats win. We do. We decided. Uh, what was it? Late Friday night. I think I texted you, if I'm not mistaken. It's like. Let's do a double giveaway just because we're feeling generous. We've got a bunch of these shirts. Ticats get their first W of the season. Why not give away a pair of shirts this week? couple lucky winners. Just having fun all the way around, right? Absolutely. All right, so if you're ready, I'm going to hit the button on my uh, random name generator here, and we're going to get our first winner. All right, the button has been hit. We're waiting. Drum roll. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right, congratulations to... Jason Husack at jhusack on Twitter. You are our first winner. We'll be reaching out to you very shortly uh, after this show goes up. Uh, we will talk to you about what shirt you want, size. We'll get to that. So that's number one. You ready for number two? Mm-hmm. Button has been hit. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, oh, oh I thought it was going to freeze for a second there. It did not. And our second winner is Tiger Sammy. Tiger Sam. Oh, good buddy of ours, always talking to us. He has won a shirt. So, uh, Sam, we will be getting it out to you this week. We will be talking in the DMs, getting your address, getting all that good stuff. So, congratulations to Jason and Sammy on winning the shirts this week. That's always awesome. Love to see it. Love to see it. And what we also love to see, Mike, is a Tiger Cats victory, and that's what we get to talk about this week. They went into Montreal. We were kind of down on the team. I actually took the Owls to win this game on the Three Down Nation picks this week. Uh, I'm 0 for 3 on picking Ticat games this year. Took them to win in Winnipeg, win in Saskatchewan, lose in Montreal. So I guess whatever I pick should be the opposite of what the Ticats do. So I'm going to pick them to lose from here on out. 
I'll go 0-14 in my Ticats picks, but the team will go 12-2, and and it'll all be good, right? Sounds like a good strategy. So, yeah, you just keep that going. And, you know, I was I was 1-2 picking uh, the Tiger Cats to win, and uh, luckily I won this week, so uh, pretty happy about that. Good stuff. The 27-10 victory in Montreal on Friday night. It was a... It wasn't a dominant win. I won't say it was a dominant win because I don't. I think there was stretches, especially in the middle part of the game, second quarter, almost the entire third quarter, where the offense kind of sputtered for both teams. Quite frankly, I mean the Alouettes' offense was was hemmed in most of the game. But I think we got to start the headline guy from this week's game is Frankie Williams, is it not? Uh, the opening kickoff he takes nearly 50 yards that leads to the first touchdown of the game. He has a 69-yard punt return that leads to a field goal that he nearly he nearly took to the house. That I, and after that, I thought, okay, he's taking one. He's taking one to the crib this week. That led to a field goal and a 10-0 lead. And then late in the game, he has an interception. I believe it was in the fourth quarter, and the Ty Cats score a touchdown on that. Kind of seals the game. So Frankie himself, with with the plays he made on the field, was essentially responsible for 17 points in this game. Oh, and look at that. That is the margin of victory. So Frankie Williams, I thought, was absolutely tremendous in this one. And with his versatility, did it both on special teams and on defense. How did you think? He was fantastic, was he not? Oh, he's incredible. Uh, you know, I thought Frankie Williams in the first two games, uh, not in the secondary, but in, the, in returning the ball, didn't seem like the Frankie Williams we saw in 2019. He just seemed, I don't, I don't know, it just, maybe the blocking wasn't there. But uh, in this game, like you said, he came out strong on that first return, and, and he never really slowed down. No, not at all. It was, um, this, was, this was easily his best game of the season. And for him to do it in both, where he, where he plays both. Like the interception was, it was a bad throw by Vernon Adams, but a bad throw, regardless, needs to be a great play by the DB. And he made a beat on it and just plucked it out of the air. And I thought he was going to score on that one, too, weaving out of there. Mm-hmm. Like, you see the return skills and the DB skills when he's on, and he's in either scenario. You can see him kind of setting up his blockers when he's on defense after interception. You can kind of see he's that ball hawk trying to get the ball in his hands as quickly as possible when he's in the punt return game. But it's just this game, and, and Frankie in particular, like it's just so nice to see these guys kind of play up to the potential that we – don't get me wrong. We're going to talk about some things that, that didn't go particularly well in this game. But you see guys that we know can – produce at the highest of levels and Williams was you know the prime example of that in this one and it's, just, it's such a huge thing to be able to get good uh punt returns and kick returns you know get that good field position because you know the CFL size field if you're starting at the 20 yard line it's tough to drive the ball all the way down to the field to get a seven seven points so for him to give us like good field position like that it's a huge gain for this team and he's going to get the headlines, and deservedly so, because of his individual performance. But I would also like to talk about the secondary as a whole. This was the first game where they had all five projected starters from the preseason. Both Cariel Brooks and Tunde Adelike were back for this game. And I thought the coverage in the secondary was magnificent in this one. Uh, there were some drops by Al's receivers, quite a few actually, that really kind of hurt. But there was also some really good coverage. Uh, Siante Evans had a couple really good pass knockdowns. There was one play with him that stood out to me. He was he was being blocked by two guys and and on like what looked like a, a kind of a screen pass to the outside, and he completely sheds both blockers and, and makes the tackle. And just that sort of maybe desperation is not the right word, but there was there was a sense of urgency with this team where it's like. I didn't look at it as a must win, but they clearly did and they came to play. And I don't think anywhere is that more magnified than in seeing how well the starting five in the secondary played in this one. Yeah. I thought Siante Evans was <clears throat> tremendous in this game. Uh, probably the 
the best, you know, Frankie Williams had that big pick and everything, but I think overall he was probably the best defensive player in this game. Um, maybe he would have been a uh, player of the game if it wasn't for Frankie Williams' performance on special teams as well. Yeah, he was excellent. I thought Jamal Roll played the best game I've seen him play this year. I Tunde Adelike and Cario Brooks being out there, I just think makes a difference in the mm-hmm. secondary. I think Adelike, as much as we like Mike Daly, I think Adelike is just better. I don't know if there's any other way to put it. And there's like, they're just, it felt like there was never a scenario. There were some breakdowns, and obviously the Al scored a touchdown and, and had a couple good drives. But for the most part, this was, uh, this was a pretty poor effort from the Alouette's offense. But I don't know if it was necessarily the Al's offense playing so poorly or if it was the Ticats defense playing so well. Yeah, I think it might have been a bit of both. Uh, you know, Vernon Adams hasn't looked good this year, <clears throat> except for that first game against Edmonton. But other than that, he just doesn't seem right. It's like, I, we watch him play, and I, I think he's trying to do too much. Yep. He, you see some open receivers, like on shorter routes, that he's not taking. He's going for the for the longer passes that are just not there. So um, he hasn't been good at all this year, and uh, he has to imp- he has to improve for this uh, Montreal Alouettes team to improve because you know he he's the guy. So um, there's a lot of high expectations for this team, and they haven't lived up to them yet this no. year. What a difference three weeks makes, though, right? Like, this time mm. after week one, we're thinking, oh, my God, the Alouettes are the team. Maybe they're the team to beat in the East Division. The Ticats don't look very good. The Owls get out to their first. And then now we're sitting here uh, two weeks later, and the Argos are in first at 2-1. and one. The Ticats have their first win, and, ev- and everyone else in Division is 1-2. and two. The, the Red Blacks look bad. Like, that defense, mm. I think that defense in Ottawa is, we're kind of getting off the topic here, but, you know, we might as well talk about it. The defense, I think, in Ottawa is outstanding. Uh, I think yeah. if they had even an average offense, I think they could actually be pretty dangerous. But there's, they're terrible on offense. They cannot move the ball. What, what uh, last night? What did they? I think they don't even think they scored a touchdown. I think it was four field goals that they got. When your best player, mm-hmm. when your most dangerous offensive weapon is your field goal kicker, you're in trouble. So Ottawa, to me, they got that one win, but. That might be the only win they get all year. Like they could go on a legitimate thirteen game losing streak to end this season because they're and they don't have and their quarterback's terrible. They don't have an answer. Like I saw a lot of people being like, It's time to bench Matt Nichols, and it's like for who? Dominic Davis? Like we saw that experiment two years ago. It didn't go well. So Ottawa's I don't Ottawa's not a threat at all. Um and Montreal, like the Ticats just went to their house and, and you know, pistol whipped them essentially and it looks like it's going to come down to the Battle of Ontario for this division title, and we'll talk about it as we get to the end of the episode. We got two games coming up against the Argos in back-to-back weeks. This could be what separates the wheat from wheat from the chaff right here, right? Yeah, two huge, huge games early on in the season against the Argonauts, and you know we hate the Argonauts here, obviously, but it's it's a it, it's been a while since um, both. Um, Southern Ontario teams have been really, really good. So that maybe they build up that rivalry a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, okay. Back to this game, though. Uh, another guy I want to want to shout out, rookie Stephen Dunbar Jr. Holy smokes! Did this guy come out of nowhere and have a great? He had a really good game. Finished with a game high six catches, game high ninety five yards. Had the opening touchdown of the game. But the first drive in the first half for him was absolutely tremendous. A guy, and this is what I love about the CFL. These guys that. We don't know who they are. And I was texting my brother during the game, and he's like, who's this Dunbar kid? And it's like, it's a CFL, man. Guys come out of nowhere and become stars. And obviously, I'm not saying this after one game, this guy's going to be a star. But 
we see this all the time. Guys that we don't know anything about come in and, and make a huge impact. And I don't think that's any more evident than in seeing what Steven Dunbar did in his first game with the Ticats. Mm-hmm. Guy comes out of nowhere and uh, puts up 95 yards and a, and a touchdown. Um, from He went to school in Houston. Uh, I can't find seem to find much information on him. But, yeah, the guy looks like a stud in his first game. That's for sure. It's... Uh, and as you mentioned on Twitter, he's where he wears number eighty-two, so he's a he's a Mikey favorite. Yeah, he's a Mikey favorite for sure. <laughs> no, I, I, but it's nice. We we've seen kind of the rotating door um, at receiver, and like we we talk about some of the changes this team has gone through, and we've seen them try Poppy White. Tim White was in this game. He had a, he had a, a nice catch. Jalen Marshall, Marcus Tucker. As we wait for Braylon Addison to Posey to get healthy. We're we're seeing some of these new guys have to come in. Brandon Banks has not had a good start to the season. I think he had what two catches for five yards in this one. It's mm-hmm. with Speedy being slowed down. You think that that's going to really harm the passing attack? And the passing attack wasn't great in this one. Evans only threw for 183 yards, but it was enough to get the win. Um, so you see these guys, these 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 newcomers, come out of nowhere, and they need to make plays because teams are game planning to take Banks away. That's what you do. When you're playing against the reigning MOP, you find ways to get him out of the game. The Ticats did that in this one, and we'll talk about it in a second, making William Stanback completely ineffectual. You game plan to take away the team's best weapon. The Ticats, I'm sure at some point, will find a way to get Banks more involved, and he'll finish with his you know, 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns or whatever. Um, but when that happens, it opens up opportunities for other players. We saw in the first couple of games, Jalen Acklin had some, had some pretty – some pretty big games and was probably the standout player for the first two games of the season. And this one we see Dunbar come out. It's nice that when these guys get called upon that they're able to make plays because if, if he's, if he's not up for the moment, if he drops a one or let's say he drops that touchdown pass, they end up settling for a field goal. We're talking about a whole new ball game, right? Mm. And do you think that's what's going on with banks that the the game planning from the other teams because he just hasn't been the same this year that he has in the past. Well, I think that's part of it. Um, I mean, are we having? A it complete... looked like he was dinged up in the first two games. Yes. But in this game, it didn't seem that way. But who knows? Maybe he still is dinged up. But let's not forget, we're having a completely different conversation about Brandon Banks if Dane Evans hits that pass to him over the middle where he was wide open behind True. the secondary. It True. was. It that was have been huge. It, that would have been a 65-yard touchdown pass, and we're talking, oh, Brandon Banks had 70 yards on four catches and a touchdown. And you're like, yeah, it's not, you know, the 115-yard three TD game that we expect, but, oh, Banks is back. And that's and that had nothing to do with Banks. Banks did his job. He was open. Evans missed him, and you even saw on the replay, Evans is like, oh, if I would have put a little yeah. air under that, that's yeah. that's a score. You know what I mean? So it's I think, I think he probably is a little nicked up. Like you said, we have seen him kind of holding his, like, midsection area after the first two games. Um, I I don't have any worries about Banks. He might be slow now. He'll he'll get it going. There's he's too good. He's going to get it going. So I'm I'm not concerned about him. It's just if he, if they if he catches that touchdown pass, it would have been nice that that's maybe that's the thing that kind of gets him going. But I'll say right now, I think he's going to have a huge game on Monday. I think he, I think Labor Day is going to be a, a breakout performance for him this season. Yeah, I think so too. You know, he's been a little bit slow off the off the get go, but uh, he's too good of a player to be uh, hemmed down like this for. For too long in the the Labor Day matchup, I think I think you're right. It'll bring it out of him. The the rivalry will. Uh, I think he's gonna put up some uh, some good numbers. Yeah, the the crowd being there, the first yeah. home game in nearly what 22 months since the <clears throat> East final in 2019. Yeah, I think this is uh, I think this is the opportunity for him to really really 
really put put a good game together. Um, speaking of good games, you talked about William Stanback. He did not have a good game, and this Hamilton Tiger Cats rushing defense, minus Dylan Wynn and Jagarrett Davis in this game, yeah. was absolutely phenomenal. Holding William Stanback to 40 yards on 12 carries with a long rush of 9 yards. The Owls finished the game with just 70 yards rushing on 18 carries. We All we heard about, and understandably so, was the last time these two teams met in Montreal that William Stanback went out there and had 200 yards rushing and ran all over him. Ad nauseum. If, like you, if you didn't know what happened, you knew it during this game, right? Like, oh, my God, the amount of times they brought it up. And I yeah. understand. It's a good talking point because it's oh, on this field. They did it with we'll – talk when we talk about Sean Thomas, they did sort of the same thing. The talking point with Erlington was this was where he got hurt in 2019. He's back for, you know, first time, blah, 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 blah. And it was Stanback. Yeah, it was just like – Every single time he touched the ball, it's like, remember, he had 200 yards the last time these teams met. So to see this run defense kind of hold him to essentially nothing was was really nice to see. And kind of, I won't say it shut TSN up, but it really, I think them focusing on that 200-yard yard game from two years ago really sort of highlighted how good this run defense was in this one. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was, uh, I thought they were... You know, one of the one of the brightest spots on this team, the defensive line, and like you mentioned, the missing two key guys, and still put up that performance against a really a pretty good offensive line yep. and a really good running back in William Stanback was really impressive and uh, a big thumbs up for them. Yeah, the defense as a whole. I, I know I touched on it earlier, but we're, we're talking about it again. I think the defense as a whole was just excellent in this game. Mm-hmm. They they pressured. They, they only had one sack, but they pressured Adams into making some mistakes. He's, like you said, kind of trying to do a little too much, uh, looking for the big play instead of taking what's there for him. The receivers did him no favors. There was how many drops in this game? Like, just way too many for, especially guys that were wide open. But there were also some awkward throwing angles. They were Some throws were behind. Some throws were a little too far ahead. So it, was, it wasn't just the receivers dropping passes. It was also Adams not being able to get kind of comfortable in the pocket and make some throws. So I just think that you're, you're minus – Maybe your two best defensive linemen, um, and you still come up with a performance like this. I think that speaks volumes. And I think Ted Laurent in this one, very little on the stat sheet, but I think we saw him come back against the Riders, and he didn't look particularly effective. I think now two games into past the injury, I think we saw the Ted Laurent that we're all used to seeing. I thought he was magnificent in this one as well. Yeah, his presence was felt for sure. It's uh, it's really encouraging to see that we have some depth on that D-line, and, you know, not a lot of sacks, but uh, just imagine, you know, it's it, it's the same with a, a lot of positions on the on this team. Just imagine when we get healthy and we get all those stars back and, and what we can do then. So um, it's really exciting. All right. Speaking of healthy and stars, although stars might be a little much, and that was pretty, a pretty hackneyed segue, Sean Thomas Erlington in this one. We finally saw the Ticats run game. Get going a little bit. He was the main cog in that 73 yards on 10 carries and the game icing touchdown. On the final drive, when the Alouettes knew the Ticats were going to run the football, they handed it off to Erlington four times, for, and he had 43 yards and that touchdown with the, the hurdle over Greg Reed, which was just phenomenal, which he seems to do on almost a, a game-by-game basis. It was nice to see that because it feels like he's finally over the injury. He looked like the Sean Thomas Erlington we saw the first three weeks of the 2019 season. And speaking of ad nauseum, every single time he had the ball or made a play, it was, oh, this is the field where he got hurt. And it's like, yeah, we, we remember. Mm-hmm. The Ticat fans remember. Don't don't think for a second we don't. But it was really nice to see him in his hometown kind of get kind of get back onto the track he looked like he was on back at the beginning of 2019. 
Absolutely. This guy was uh, a star in the making uh, back in 2019. And, you know, we saw some flashes of it uh, in this game. Uh, you mentioned the big hurdle. Um, you know, he gained a lot of yards. They padded his stats on that run, I think probably about 30 yards on that run. So um, it may look a little bit better than it actually was. Um, you know, the the run blocking still needs to get a lot better, but it was good to see Sean Thomas Erlington get his legs back underneath him. Yeah, and just, again, just think how potent this rushing attack will be when Don Jackson finally gets in the lineup because mm-hmm. they played Wes Hills, who had only, I think, four carries in this game. But that's some pretty pretty decent runs. I think he had 20 yards in total. And I just, I liked, I think the Ticats overall ran for, uh, I want to say it was like 140-something yards, which is like, again, they were running a lot at the end of the game. I mentioned Erlington had 43 yards in the last drive alone. So that kind of pads those numbers. But it's really nice to kind of see the Ticats attempt at least to establish a run game. So maybe that's something we can, I, I mean, it feels like this is something we've been saying forever, but maybe that's something we can look forward to seeing going forward yeah hopefully and uh, you know even dane evans he had four carries for 24 yards Mm -hmm. he looked uh pretty good on his feet as well you know it's good to have him be able to uh run the ball when there's no passing options all right speaking of evans you ready to have the uncomfortable conversation about the quarterback Mm -hmm. i am i uh i've hesitated saying this I didn't write it in my column on three down. I didn't say it on Twitter, but I think, Mike, I think I'm ready to uh, to say something I didn't think I'd say. I think uh, I think Dane Evans is the guy. Um, his numbers weren't out of this world. 15 to 22, 183 yards, two touchdowns, but no turnovers. And he was behind a piss-poor offensive line, and we'll talk about the offensive line next. Got sacked six times in this game, but still was willing to stand in there, that extra beat to make the big play. He just looked more comfortable than Mazzoli did. And there's a lot of people out there that hate Jeremiah Mazzoli and will never admit that he's the better player or that he's a good player. I won't say better player. That he's a good player and that he deserved to lead this team. It would be hypocritical of me to take the same stance and say that Mazzoli should start over Evans. I think, given that Mazzoli's hurt and will potentially miss a few games, if Evans, he's got, I believe it's two games against the Argos and then a home game against, I think it's the Stampeders, after the back-to-back games from Labor Day and the rematch, if they're four and two and Evans hasn't lost, or even if they're three and three and he's he's three and one, you know what I mean as a starter in this this season. I think it's really really hard to go back to Mazzoli. I think that Evans just looked, and maybe it was a product of the competition they're playing. But Montreal is a pretty good defense. They have a really good uh, defensive line. As I mean, six sacks. They they were able to get pressure on the quarterback. I I don't know how you feel on this. I'm it it's, it feels weird to say, but I I think. I think Dane Evans is the guy. I, th- I think it's time to <clears throat> just insert him as a starter. And unfortunately, this is this could be the end of Mazzoli's time in Hamilton. Yeah, I said on Twitter before the game, if uh, if Dane Evans performs really well and we get a win in this one, it's going to be tough to insert Mazzoli back into that starter spot. And you're right. I mean, if he, if he goes on a, a winning streak or goes 3-1 and one in these next couple games, um, it's going to be even harder. Uh, I, I just think if you have a quarterback back there that's doing a good job, that's leading the team to victories, you got to stick with them. And they said at the beginning of the season that, uh, you know, we don't have a starter and a backup. We have a one and a one a, and, um, you got to go with a hot hand. Uh, and you know how much I, I'm a fan of Mazzoli as well, but, uh, you know, if the team is performing better with Dane Evans, that quarterback, then, then they have to go with him. Yeah. And it's not like, 
like our whole thing, because going into the game, what was your number one concern? The offensive line, right? Mm-hmm. And we thought if the offensive line doesn't get it together, there's no chance they're going to win this game. The offensive line didn't get it together. And oh. they kind of, I won't say cruised, because it's not, the 17-point the, the margin of victory, I think, makes the game look more out of hand than it actually was. But this was a one-score game into the fourth quarter. Like, this was this, this was not by any means over. The Ticats looked better. They had a couple missed field goals that would have stretched the lead even more. So the offense was able to move the football into scoring position. Um, that's not something we can say out of the first two weeks. So That being said, they also had a, a better field position than they yep. did in the first two yep. games. So that helped out a lot as well. Yeah, no, there, it, it, this was a full team victory. Um, mm-hmm. Special teams contributed. Like, every, everything, aside from the offensive line, everything that had kind of been going against the Ticats kind of went for them in this one. They got a turnover. They hadn't really done that all season. They they got excellent special teams play. The coverage unit, Mario Alford's one of the best yeah. return men in the league. And the coverage units, like, it's, it's not something that's going to get headline articles written about him. They were fantastic. They didn't allow him to really. The only time he broke one came back on an illegal block. So everyone, there was every single player that was on the roster in this game. I feel like contributed something to the victory outside of the offensive line. Which, whenever you're ready to talk about that, we can get into it. But yeah, like it, it's not fair to say like oh the only difference was Evans came in and played well versus Mazzoli the fr- previous two games didn't. Everything else kind of coalesced into this game being what it ended up being. Yeah, absolutely. The the special teams coverage was was phenomenal. <clears throat> you know, you mentioned Mario Elford. He was uh, in those first two games he played. He he was a star. So for them to shut him down was impressive. And you know that's the special teams we we recognize from uh, from Jeff Reinbold coaching this team. So I think it's all it's starting to come together on uh, on that side of the ball. Yeah, it's he was and maybe still is the front runner for most outstanding. I know it's only three three games, but. He's probably the front runner for top special teams player this year, and he looked he was invisible in this one. And and Frankie came out and played like the reigning top special teams player. And there's another, you know what I mean? Like there's there was so much in this game that was different that it's to to pin it all on the quarterback is wrong. And that's why I didn't lead with it, because normally it's like, oh, the quarterback played well after a change. This is what you leave. To me, it's not the headline story from this game. Evans was no. good. And he's it's the best performance we've seen from a quarterback in a tie catch uniform this year. But he didn't go out there and throw for 350 yards. He didn't go out there and throw for four touchdowns. He, he wasn't, you know, 22 or 28. You know, like, he was good. He was efficient. He A couple of the sacks he took, I think he held the ball too long. There was one play in particular where, you know, the old scene ghosts where I don't know if he heard footsteps or whatever, but he kind of panicked and spun in, into a, another sack. So it's not like he was out of this world fantastic. It's just everybody in this game, I think, played better than we'd seen the previous two. And that includes getting better play out of the quarterback position. Because I don't think there's any doubt to say that Evans' performance in this one was better than either of Mazzoli's, Mazzoli's first two games. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. He just he seemed to make decisions quicker for the most part, get the ball out to the, uh, to the playmakers, and uh, it was a successful, um, successful game for him. You know, he, he led us to victory. Um, not Like you said, not that it's all on the quarterback, but... Uh, you know, I, I was impressed. Just, just like I was impressed, just because of how terrible the offensive line was, and you know, it's tough to be good when when you're facing pressure like that all the time. It it should be impossible, quite frankly. Yeah. Teams don't give up six sacks in a game and win by seventeen points. No. Like the fact that this team was able to overcome 
another really bad game from the offensive line, especially offensively where they scored. Like, again, field position matters and all that other stuff. Like we, we recognize that they scored 20. They scored more, they scored almost twice as many points in this game than they had the previous two combined. You know what I mean? So despite the fact that the offensive line, which I guess we're going to do it now was just, again, just awful. Like this is, I don't know what the solution is here. They made Van Zyl was out in this one. So they made a switch. They brought in Jordan Murray to play right tackle. Kay Okafor at left tackle to me is just not working. Uh, I know he's a project. I know they like him. That's that's not working for me. Uh, the, the switch at guard, adding the American, I want to say his name's Yarborough, not working. It's no. Like, I, I don't know what the solution is to this, but maybe they got lucky in this one to get the win, but they're going to go up against a pretty damn good Argos defensive front. And, I mean, they went up against a damn good, oh, let's defensive front in this one, I won't, I won't lie, but they're going to go up against a good one in the next two weeks. This performance cannot continue, and I just, I, but I don't know where the fix is. Van Zyl is out and hasn't looked good even when he was in there. They don't have a left tackle. They're like I just, I don't know when we're ever going to see this. Is is this? I think this is going to be the downfall of the team. Like they're going to finish seven and seven, like you always hate, and the five hundred record, <laughs> and they're going to get bounced in the East final to a team like Toronto or Montreal that are, are at this point looks like Toronto, who are just going to be better. Like yeah. If this continues, I don't think this team can win a championship. It's frustrating because we had the offensive line in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they, you know, didn't play well in the Grey Cup, uh, we had the pieces together that I thought, you know, could lead this team to a championship maybe this year. But we lost Riker Matthews. Uh, you know, Filer's gone. Van Zyl's, you know, almost two years older. Um <clears throat> it's just not a quick fix with the offensive line. You just can't find guys that are ready to go that are, at, you know, a top tier level offensive lineman. They're just not out there. So it's, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know what they're going to do. You can't, you, you know, teams aren't going to give up a starting offensive line in, in a trade. So they're going to have to go with the guys they have, or maybe, you know, get a guy that's, that's, um, you know, the, the the name keeps popping up, Derek Dennis. He signed with the the Elks, but uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to get him either. So, yeah, it's going to be an ongoing thing for the season, I think. And unless these guys that we have right now suddenly miraculously get better, um, this is going to be plaguing this team all season long, I think. Yeah, I think as much as they miss Riker Matthews, and I, I believe they miss Riker Matthews, I'm almost wondering if they miss Mike Filer more. Like there was, there's that veteran calming presence that he brought to the center position that would then allow Sirocco to go back to guard. And then you can, you still have Revenberg there who, I mean, we haven't heard about him in the last couple of games. So that tells me that he's playing, he's playing better, but you're, then you're not starting these rookies. And like, maybe you can mask a guy like Okafor at left tackle or a young American at left tackle. If you have sort of the interior figured out, I I mean, I, I don't I don't think we downplayed the loss of Riker Matthews when he signed in BC. I, I don't know the reasonings for him leaving. Like, you can't pay everybody, and I think the Ticats thought that they could replace Matthews more easily than, say, replacing a Jagarit Davis or Simone Lawrence or someone like that. But it's, it's really looking like they made a mistake in not maybe addressing this with a veteran CFL player because this revolving door... At left tackle, Javon Tate was the week one starter. Then he was released. We've had Okafor for two games and just hasn't looked good. Even with a week off and a, and a chance to game plan, he didn't look good in this one either. I, I, I just don't know if we're ever going to get 
an answer to this during the season. Because like you said, it's not like teams are going to line up to to deal a, a starting caliber left tackle to the team, to the Ticats for, for something in the middle of the season. And even if they do, is that even going to make a difference? Like integrating players in via trades during the season is, is difficult already. More changes to the offensive line. Like this, they, they haven't started the same offensive line in any game this like. Every game this year has been a new combination. Like, and I think based on the performance this one, probably going to be a new combination on Labor Day as well. I just I don't know when this is ever going to end. Yeah, neither do I. It's uh, it's troubling because we know that you can't give up that many sacks in a game and expect to win. You know, you can't have the pressure on the quarterback and expect to win every week, um, especially t- against teams like Saskatchewan. You know, the first two weeks, we, we probably played the best two teams in the league right now, yep. Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. Winnipeg, you know, defensive line is just ridiculously good. Um, Saskatchewan's defensive line is really good, too. Um, so maybe, you know, if we face some some weaker defensive lines going forward, we might be able to mask the problems for a couple of weeks. But once we start playing those guys again, um, you know, it's going to be tough. So I don't know how they're going to fix it, but they, they have to figure out something. If you want to win a championship, you're going to have to be one of those two teams in the Great Cup, is my guess. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And I think so right too. now... Uh, even even though the game would be in Hamilton, I wouldn't put my money on the Ticats to beat either of those teams right now. They just they just don't no. look good enough. They're just they're too good along the defensive line, you yeah. know. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough. You know what else was tough? Penalties, man. Nine penalties for 126 yards in this one. That's that's too undisciplined. Again, you don't normally see that many penalties for a team that wins the game. Although the trend of bogus penalty calls on this team continued into another week. This this block, this illegal block that they called on Kalinich, that the, the announcers in the game did the replay and were like, I don't know where this is coming from. Mm-hmm. I, I Again, I think the refs do a good, a good job. Andre Pru was the ref in this one. I like him. I think he's a good referee. I think his crews are amongst the best in the league. Are, are, is this going to be our, like, you remember a few years ago with Hiralahu and we wouldn't say his name when he would kick a ball out of bounds and it seemed to happen on a week a weekly basis. Is this going to be the thing that we, we cover this week, bogus calls against the Ticats? Because we had the Brandon Banks one in week one, and, and we have this one. And then uh, what was week two's? Oh, the Javon Santos-Knox ejection was, was silly. Right. Is this, is this going to be our new, uh, our new gimmick going forward, just talking about stupid penalties that shouldn't have been called? I certainly hope not. Um, you know, I'm with you. I think that the, the refs, you know, usually do a pretty good job. You know, they miss some stuff, obviously, but... Uh, yeah, it's just been a little, little silly. The 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 calls that have gone against us, uh, not all of them. Some of them are deserved, but there's been a couple that are just uh, head scratchers. Yeah. Um. And I brought up the Brandon Banks penalty. There was a play in this one. Uh, I, I marked it down about the 9:30 mark of the first quarter. Eugene Lewis catches a pass. Jamal Roll shoves him out of bounds. Lewis is tossing the ball back to the referee. It doinks off Simone Lawrence's helmet. No flag. Mm-hmm. Should shouldn't be a flag. Shouldn't have been a no. flag. Should have been a flag when Brandon Banks had it happen to him in week one. Yet he got a flag, kind of derailed the momentum that the offense had on that because they were driving on that one. They, they had already scored a touchdown and it looked like they were about to take control of that game. Completely turned the tide. Now, a single silly penalty shouldn't stop a team, but I, I don't think the Cats would have won that game anyway. I think Winnipeg just was just too good. But I, what's going on? Like, I, again, I understand it's early in the season, but at some point we've got to get past all this stuff. Shouldn't be a, shouldn't have been a penalty on Lewis. Shouldn't have been a penalty on Banks. But when you see it, and it's one of those things that kind of sticks out to you, it, it kind of bothers you when you see it again. And something different, the, the outcome is different. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it's a case of uh, we learned our lesson with the with the banks penalty, and uh, you know, we're spotting again? accidents better, maybe. or maybe it was just a better refereeing crew, like, that too. like you mentioned. So um, it's unfortunate, but um, yeah, going forward, hopefully, there's no no other you know phantom calls, uh, silly penalty calls against the Ticats. We talked about the offensive line. That was one of our main concerns going into the season. Now we got to talk about kicker, which was another one of our main concerns going into the season. Kicking game hasn't been good the first two weeks. The Ticats made a switch. They uh, Taylor Bertolet was put on the, I believe, he was put on the practice roster. They bring Michael Domagala onto the onto the team. He goes two for four, makes his first field goal, even though it was a chip shot. Look, but then he misses two. He goes two for four in the game with misses from thirty-seven and fifty. The fifty-yard field goal, okay. I mean, it had the distance; it was just way too wide. And same with the thirty-seven-yard field goal. Obviously, the distance just wide. I know Liram Hirolahu is out there. He was just released by the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know what the salary cap situation is with this team. They gotta find if he's willing to come back to the CFL. They gotta find a way to get him back in black and gold because this kicking game is going to be the death of me. I I talked about. I said it on Twitter. After he missed the second one, I said, these misses are going to come back and bite this team in the ass. It didn't end up happening because they ended up making up for it, scoring some touchdowns later on the game, ice the game. But against better teams or in, in closer games, these types of mistakes are going to cost this team wins. And if Hyrule who's willing to come back, I think you got to open up the vault and just bring him back no matter what. He, as long as you can fit him under the cap, bring him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd love to have him back. I mean, the guy is... Uh... A solid kicker, obviously. He did a great job for us for the most part. And, uh, you know, Damagala, he looked good off the start. I think he made his first two. and uh, Was it missed, made his first two and then missed his? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think. Um, uh, along of 46, he nailed the 46-yarder. So, listen, maybe it's just a case of, uh, you know, it's his first game and, uh, you know, a little bit nervous, uh, missing 50% of his kicks. But, I mean, if we can bring in a guy like Harwalahu, I'm all for it. Yeah, for sure. In booth interviews, Mike. We talked about this uh, last week. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the groan I was <laughs> expecting. These got to stop. They absolutely have to stop. I I didn't see the one in BC, but you did, and you said it was it was just mind numbingly terrible to listen to. They did another one in this one, talking to new Owlets owner Gary Stern. Came in during I think it was the first, maybe the second quarter of the game. It was on a, a, the only Alouettes touchdown drive that ended up having in the game. The only thing about this that I thought was neat was as he was mid-sentence, the Al scored, he kind of cheered and that got excited, and I thought that was kind of cool. But these things are boring. This is bad television. It detracts from the game. TSN has, and especially this one, they had a pregame show. Do a five- to seven-minute sit-down interview with this guy, edit it all together, make him sound way more interesting than he does with a live mic, because no offense to Gary Stern, he did not sound very interesting. When you put a live mic in front of him, he felt it felt awkward. You can edit these things together. You can talk about like his story, where he comes from. We know there's a connection with Bob Young. We know that his father-in-law, who he co-purchased the team with, passed away just recently. Like you can do that thing with. Um, oh my God, I forgot his name at the beginning of the at, before we were uh, Brian Williams. Brian Williams. Do one yeah. of those like sit-down interviews with Brian Williams, where you, you can show like pictures of his childhood and. Maybe, maybe if, if they're lucky, there's pictures of him at a CFL game when he was younger. Like, do those types of things. Use your pregame show for these types of things to get people invested. Because I think fans want to know more about the people behind the scenes. So I think these things are interesting in smaller chunks. Um, but use the pre-show for this. Use the halftime show for this instead of talking about the point spread and the over-unders for the 30th time in a, in a half an hour show. I just, 
I don't like these. I think I think they're boring. Uh, it started with the Keith Urban thing back in the Grey Cup two years ago, and it's it just continues. And I just it, I, I if I wasn't invested in watching the game, I would have turned it off. It's boring to listen to. I don't want it on my TV anymore during games. Find a better avenue for this, and that's the friggin' pregame show. Yeah, I, I usually when those uh, in-game interviews come on, I, I turn down the volume and I just watch because I know it's going to be you know not interesting to listen to. Um, you know, boring, terrible, all those, all those words. And, uh, you know, it didn't even start with Keith Urban. It was, it was happening way before oh, yeah. that as well. The Keith Urban was just, to me, it's just that, that's like. The worst. Yeah. That was like the benchmark for terrible um, in-game interviews. So, yeah, I, I don't know why they insist on doing it so much. It, uh, it's like they're, they think the game isn't interesting enough, so they're going to bring in someone and ignore what's happening on the field, which is, just drives me crazy. So. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I just I just think these things need to stop. You know, do it like you said, do it pregame, do it at halftime. Um, you like edit edit it, make it more interesting. You know, Brian Williams is a great interview interviewer. So yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, that's it too. Like, who was in the booth? It was Rod Smith and Glenn Suter. Mm-hmm. They're they're not professional journalists to do these interview things. Like Suter, like, Rod Smith is, but it's like they're not. They're not known for giving get like, and you're not going to do like a hard hitting sort of like tug at no. your heartstrings type interview in the middle of the game. Like you want the game to be more upbeat and and fun. It's like, so your father in law passed away in July, and it's like they brought it mm-hmm. up, but it's like you don't like that's a downer. And like, yes, yeah. it's an important part of the story, but tell that story in a better avenue. Don't tell it during the game. Yeah, it, it's it, it's just there's there's um what's the word. You have to like break the interview in between to like kind of ca- call the game to see what's you know tell the people what's happening and all that stuff. It's just not like you said. It's just not good television. And it's just it needs to stop. It needs to stop. And I don't think it will. I think they'll keep doing it, and we'll be talking about it for the next thirty years. <laughs> I mean, it would it wouldn't be talking about the CFL if we didn't have something to complain about. So right. at least that tells me the CFL is back because we're complaining about something. So yeah, yeah, that's good yeah. stuff. What we won't complain about though is giving out our first. Podski Player of the Week for the 2021 season. We did this. I believe we started it. I don't remember if we started in 2018 or 2019, but we started it recently, uh, last few years. We're bringing it back. We didn't do one uh, last week because, quite frankly, yeah, maybe maybe we could have gone with Jalen Acklin. I guess he was pretty good the first two games of the season, but there wasn't really anyone that stood out. It's hard to find a Player of the Week in, two, in games where you get blown out. But this one, the Ticats played well enough. Mike, why don't I hand the reins over to you? I think it's pretty obvious who our Player of the Week was. There were some good candidates. Uh mm-hmm. There, there was a lot of good candidates, quite frankly. You mentioned Seontay Evans. I think Stephen Dunbar would have it. But at the end of the day, it had to go to only one man, and that man is who, Mike? It's got to go to Frankie Williams. Uh, you know, in the return game, in the secondary, he, he was awesome. Uh, he had five returns for 100 yards in the in the punt return, so 67-yard return, uh, three returns for 84 yards in the kickoff returns, and, of course, that uh, interception that almost turned into a touchdown. So... The first Podsky player of the week for 2021 is Mr. Frankie Williams. Yeah, very well-deserved. I wrote in my piece on three down that I I, I, don't, I hesitate to say he's the best player in the CFL, but I think he might be the most impactful because I don't know if there's another player on another team that can have his – that can make plays in so many facets of the game that can change the game. And we saw in this one especially Frankie Williams did it in both areas of the game where he excels. So a very, very deserving first Potsky Player of the Week for the 2021 season. 
Moving on now, it's time to talk about some news around the league. We'll start with the Ticats. Not a ton to talk about this week, but they did make a couple of uh, roster moves. They officially announced the signing of David Watford. We got into that a little bit last week, so there's no reason to tread that again. But they also announced the signing of offensive lineman Travis, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, but I'm assuming it's Vorn Call. Uh, mm-hmm. He was with the team in training camp this year, but was let go midway through camp, so they bring him back. Clearly, this is the team addressing their issues on the offensive line, and I'm not sure if bringing a guy back that they didn't think was good enough to be on the roster after camp is is the best way to go. But at least it shows to me, and I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. They're at least they know there's an issue with the offensive line, and they're trying to do something to bring in reinforcements. Yeah, they they have to they have to try something, don't they? Um, Born call was uh, in Riders camp as well in 2019. Uh, he was also in the Cleveland Browns camp, Washington football team camp, and the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the, he's six foot six, two hundred and ninety-eight pounds. Uh, played thirty-two games at both guard and tackle for West Texas A&M University over three seasons. So, um, yeah, he's uh, he's a big boy. He he has some experience at both guard and tackle, so that's a good thing. But like you said, I mean, he was cut by the Raiders. He was cut by the Tie Cats. Uh, they're bringing him back now. Um, yeah, I'm not sure this is the answer, but uh, they no. got to try something, right? They absolutely have to try something. And the thing is, yeah, we say he's been cut a couple of times, and we've seen guys bounce around the league a little bit before they really latch on. They they, they find the right team in the right time. You know what I mean? Like but to me, the clear example is Don Unamba bounced around the CFL for a bunch, was out of the CFL for a year. Ty Cats bring him in, and now he's kind of a household name, former All Star. He's bounced around the league since then too, but he's 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 consistently playing in the CFL and probably will until his, his career is over. So sometimes it just takes the right time for a guy to come in. I, again, I agree with you. I don't think this is the answer, but at least it's something because the status quo clearly isn't working. No, they have to, they have to switch it up in some manner. So, you know, maybe this guy just had uh, the tough luck in his first couple tries, but uh, we shall see. We shall see. Well, for all we know, he was released in camp because he got hurt. It's not a talent thing. It's he, was, he was injured, yep. and they had to make, get another body in there because we see that happen all the time. Yeah, that could be the case, and I'm hoping that is the case. I guess we'll I guess we'll have to find out this week as we got a bit of a long week before the next game. The Ticats don't play for eight days as we sit here and record on Sunday morning, so it's it's a while before they play. So there's a lot of time to kind of get this. Uh, we'll, we'll see what's going on, see if they can uh, make some changes, and we'll we'll have to wait and see and see where this goes. Um, CFL news, though, the big news of the week is the only thing I really want to talk about, and that is the COVID outbreak amongst the Edmonton Elks. They had 14 players test positive for COVID-19 since a week today after their game in BC against the Lions. The Lions, luckily, have recorded zero positive cases, so that's always a good thing. The Elks had their Week 4 game against the Toronto Argonauts that was slated to take place on Thursday, postponed. And just yesterday, we heard that the game will be rescheduled and that other teams, apparently, will be are willing to and will adjust their schedules to fit this game in. This is a, this is a mess, Mike, and I'm kind of pissed off, to be quite honest, and I feel for Argos fans and the Argos in general, and that's not something we usually do on here. We don't usually feel bad for the Toronto Argonauts because the Argos suck and all that stuff, but there was a strict policy put into place. At least we thought there was a strict policy put into place before the season where the team said if your team is not at least 85% vaccinated, which the Elks are not, and an outbreak of, on, of COVID on your team causes a game to be delayed, you will forfeit the game. And it was supposed to be a zero-tolerance, hardline stance. And the very first instance we see 
of this happening, what do they do? Now the league is bending over backwards and making other teams, apparently, we'll find out later, adjust their schedules to fit this in. This to me is, and I don't like the curse name, this is bullshit. This was supposed to be, if you're not getting paid, the game's forfeited, the Argos win. That would put the Argos at 3-1. and one. I would hate the Argos to be 3-1. and one. I want to go into Labor Day with a chance to get into first place. But guess what? These are the rules they set into place. These are the rules we thought everyone was going to follow. And the very first time, the very first time this happens, they change things. I, I, what the hell is going on? You made a rule. You said this was going to be the case. And the first time you have a chance to implement it, you say, oh, well, you know, this is this, this is BS. It's, it's it, oh, it just, it, it bugs me and makes me angry. And I, oh, I, it, how do you feel? I'm with you. Uh, you know, this, the, the Argonauts should have another win. Um, they should be three and one because, I mean, it's not like it was a small, it was the 14 players, uh, outbreak and it's just, it's irresponsible by the, the players on the Elks or whatever they were doing. You know, I don't know what happened, but, uh, it's not a good look and yeah, they, the league needs to be more stern on these things because if this happens again, are they going to, are they going to move heaven and earth to reschedule a game again? It's just. And it's not fair to the other teams, too, that have to reschedule. It's not fair to the other team's fans who might have made plans for a certain night to go to a game, and now the game switched to another day or, or whatever. So it's just not, not a good look for the CFL, and it's quite, it's quite disappointing, to be honest. Well, and did you, there was also the, uh, the report – well, not a report, but I think it was the president of the Elks was like, well, if we have to, we'll move the game to Edmonton. It's like, absolutely not. Not yeah. moving it. So hold on. You get – you're the reason that this game is being postponed, you're, and then you're going to steal a home game from the Argos and reap the revenue from having the game? Like, absolutely not. No, this is why the game should be forfeit. The Argos have a hard time getting dates at BMO Field because they share it with TFC. There's also Canadian men's national team soccer World Cup qualifying games coming up this this fall. Like, BMO is not, and, and I don't mean to be derisive or or insulting when I say this, BMO Field is not Mosaic Stadium in Regina or even Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. It's not something that kind of just sits there waiting for the football team to use it. Mm-hmm. Like, they share this with other professional teams and other – like, it's Toronto. It's a it's the big city. Like, I know people hate to hear that, but other things happen at BMO that this just can't – that you can't just accommodate anything you want. One thing, if this happened with the Ticats, if an Elks Ticats game was postponed, yeah, they shared the field with Forge FC, but they would have found a way to work around it. You know what I mean? Like – Toronto is and the Argos are the lowest rung on the on the pole as far as BMO dates go. They get they get better dates than they get at the, they used to get at the Skydome, but it's not like they can. Oh well, it's an open schedule. We can have wherever we want. And the idea that this would go to Edmonton and you, like this whole scenario is completely bonkers to me. And it should have been. It's almost like why did you put out this policy that you said you were going to follow and then immediately just like kind of ignore it? I just. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 bothers me quite a bit as a fan of the CFL, as someone who has done their damnedest to personally, and I know you're in the same boat to stop the spread of COVID nineteen. To see this stuff happen, and to to know that the mechanisms in place that were there, so things like that, like this was this was an incentive for teams to get their players vaccinated, and then the very first time with a team under the threshold, they bend over backwards to to accommodate them. It to me, it's just wrong. It's just absolutely wrong. Yeah, and you have to know where you are. I mean, Edmonton, Alberta um, is a hotspot for COVID right now because, you know, for many reasons. But, uh, 
you know, you so, t- some of them the political that we won't get into. Right. Exactly. Um, you just have to be more careful. You have to know the situation and, uh, they, they did not do that. And, and if this game ends up at Edmonton, I mean, for me, it'd be nice to go to another game, but it's totally unfair and it shouldn't happen. So they got to figure out something to me. The game should have been forfeited already, and the Argonauts should get another win. Yeah. If the game goes to Edmonton, the only way I'll be okay with this game being played in Edmonton is if every single penny of revenue, be it concessions, ticket sales, friggin' merchandise sold at that game, goes to the Argos. That's the only way that that will be fair. And and, And that's discounting the competitive imbalance that the Argos will now play eight games on the road and only six at home. And the competitive imbalance of Edmonton now gets an extra home game in front of their crowd, which, because it's not like Argos fans are going to travel to Edmonton to watch a game. The only way I'll be okay with it is if every single stitch of revenue made from that game goes to the Toronto Argonauts. And again, mm-hmm. we're two Ticats fans sitting here saying this. Imagine what Ar- I can't even imagine what Argo fans are thinking with this going on. Yeah, and that's, that'll be a tough ask to... Uh... I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah, yeah, I'm with you. They need to get all the money from this game if it comes to Edmonton, which I hope it doesn't because just because of the unfairness of it all. But uh, yeah, the least they could do is, uh, you know, make some money off it and give it to the Argos. Absolutely. Okay, enough taking the Argos side on stuff. It's time to start ripping them. Mm-hmm. Labor Day is upon us, Mike. This is the the best day of the football calendar that isn't a playoff game as far as I'm concerned here in Hamilton. It's up next. It's the battle for first place, essentially. The 2-1 and one Argos, the 1-2 and two Ticats. Didn't think those would be the records heading into this game, but here we are anyway. And it's the first game of a back-to-back series with the Monday game being in Hamilton, the Friday game being in Toronto. This is what you look forward to as a Ticat fan, is it not? The back-to-back Labor Day, re- Labor, Day and re- Labor Day rematch with the Argos. Like This is a chance. If they win these two games, they're in first place in the East. They're back on top where, they, where I think we all thought they would be. And I think they're steamrolling through the... the latter half latter parts of the schedule and i think it's all all all, all steam ahead man i think they can get mm. these two wins especially on the labor day the argos have not won a labor day game in hamilton since 2012 they have never won labor day at tim hortons field uh this it's labor day and weird things happen even when the teams are when the ticats are bad and the argos are good i think the ticats i don't think they're a bad team they got obviously as we talked about they have some uh, some issues to take care of there's also the, this long layoff for the Argos. Will that have an effect? Is that good or bad? Who knows? What are you looking for in this game, Mike? What is uh, some things for the Ticats or the Argos that kind of stand out to you? Well, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but... Uh, mm, I wonder Ticats, where he's going! Yeah, the Ticats' offensive line needs to be better. Um, you know, Toronto signed a lot of guys in the offseason. They have a lot of talent on the defensive line. They have a lot of depth. I think they'll be rotating guys in and out quite a bit, so the those guys will be fresh against offensive linemen who aren't going to be fresh they're going to be in there like the whole game so uh to me it's the offensive line play for the for the tiger cats and i think you got to stop uh, the running back for the argonauts the two running backs for the argonauts john white and foster is the other guy I yeah dj foster DJ, dj foster i think so i mean he looked really good in his last game he played the offense for the argonauts looked really good um you know arbuckle looked confident and poised he he really impressed me. So I think you got to play good along the offensive line, and I think you got to stop the run. I really wish McMagic was in this game because we've seen the Argos look good, then look bad, then look good. If if McMagic was in this game, we know what, exactly what the outcome of this game would be, right? Like it'd be another subpar performance for the Argos. Mm-hmm. But Arbuckle kind of changes the math there. He did look 
really, really good against a, a very good Winnipeg team. They yes. Argos. I, I think I said this when we talked about it last week. I think that was the best game I've seen so far this season. The Argos look look damn impressive. So I do wonder though, because there, there's the positives and the negatives of what it will essentially be almost a, basically a two and a half week layoff for Toronto. Everyone can get healthy, right? Like, but there's also the rust factor. Like, could they come out after that? These, these guys, they haven't played in so long going into the season. Now you get this unexpected long break at the start of it. It could have the opposite effect where they come into this game and they're, they're sluggish to start and the Ticats can kind of jump all over that. I said it earlier in the game or earlier in the earlier in the game, Jesus, earlier on the show. And I'll, I'll reiterate here. I think Brandon Banks is going to go off in this one. I think he's going to have the, an MOP Brandon Banks for us. I'm going to say six catches, 140 yards, two touchdowns. And I think the Ticats are going to maybe not steamroll the Argos, but I think they win comfortably uh, 13, 14 points, I think. Maybe a late touchdown or field goal to kind of really put it out of, out of control, or really put it like in the Ticats' hands. I just think it, it's Labor Day. The Ticats don't – they will eventually lose on Labor Day at some point. I don't think this is the year. I think the Argos are a good team. I think they're better than I, I anticipated them being at the start of the season. I thought they were a little overhyped. Uh, so I think this is going to be a pretty good game. But I think I think Brandon Banks goes out there and the, the home crowd. I think I think some of the veteran Ticats, the ones that were here in 2019, that haven't had a home crowd to cheer them on since the 2019 East Final, like I think Simone Lawrence is going to be pumped. I think this defense is going to go out there. If we can get some of these bodies back, I, we're probably going to get Jagarit Davis back because he was out for due to breaking COVID protocols. But it's not that he has COVID. Um, he just did something he wasn't supposed to do. He's going to be back. I think he's going to get after the quarterback. <clears throat> Pardon me. If Dylan Wynn can come back, I, he's only on the one game, so I don't know how, how devastating his injury is. But if they can get some of these healthy bodies back for this game with a little bit of a longer break, they have they'll they will have had ten days between games. I think the Ticats can take this one. But the thing I'm looking forward to, I'll just say it again, just so everyone knows, Brandon Banks. I think Brandon Banks is the is the MVP of the Labor Day Classic in 2021. I think it's going to be the opposite of that. I think that the Argonauts are going to be pissed off that they, they uh, the Elks, you know, made them miss a game and they all the rescheduling of all this stuff. I think they're going to be going to come in motivated. I think they're coming hot um, against the Tiger Cats. They know how big this game is. They want to spoil the party, and uh, they have the talent to do it. I'm sorry, they just they they were really impressive against a Winnipeg defense yeah. that is the best I've seen in, in a while. You know, especially that defensive line. They they game planned to uh, work around that the talent and, and the skill of the uh, Winnipeg defensive line. So, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough game. I'm not sure who's going to win it. I'm not going to make a prediction, but I think it's going to be close, and, uh, and I think the Argonauts are going to come to play. So you think we're in for a classic Labor Day classic? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. All right, well, hey, as long as the Ticats come out with a W, I'll take the most entertaining game I can get. Mm, yes, sir. All right, man. Well, that was Podsky Weaver for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.